Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James. My name is James, and we pray that you are having a wonderful day today. Thank you for joining us. If you are new, our aim here at Weekly Devotions with Pastor James is to help you have a healthier walk with Jesus, to help you just grow in your walk with Him, to enjoy Him, to love Him, to learn about Him. And uh, we pray that you are growing in your walk with the Lord. And uh, it is December, and we are... I don't know about you, but life has been really, really full. A lot of things going on in life right now. And maybe one day on the podcast, I will um, just tell you about what's been going on in uh, this month for my family and I. But things are well, and uh, we pray that things are going well for you. And uh, you can always connect with us at guardingthewell.com. Hopefully, you can go check that out, uh, our website there, guardingthewell.com. And you could find... um, if you're ever curious about why uh, the name change on the podcast, uh, when I first started the podcast, I called it Guarding the Well. And the reason that is is because it comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, uh, for it is the wellspring of life. And so I was just calling it Guarding the Well, because to guard our heart, as Scripture tells us. But then as I was getting in, into the podcast and talking to uh, some good friends of mine, um, it just dawned on me that you may not know what this podcast is about by the name Guarding the Well. And so I, I switched it over to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James to give you a little bit more of an idea of what we do here. Uh, but that phrase, Guarding the Well, uh, I wrote a book entitled Guarding the Well. And I have the website guardingthewell.com. Uh, it's just a reminder to me that guarding our heart is so important. And so if you're interested in that book, you could uh, pick it up at the bookstore over at guardingthewell.com. And you can connect with us uh, at guardingthewell at gmail.com. And you can connect us connect with us right through the website there as well. But uh, if you don't mind... Uh, like and subscribe and share these episodes with those that are you're with because we only do this every week once a week and so if you don't subscribe you may miss out what we're doing and so if you could subscribe you'll get notified when a new episode drops every week and uh, it would it would be beneficial for you to do that but if you're uh, if you listen to last week, what we're doing this week uh, or this month of December in light of Christmas is we're walking through a series that I preached uh, about a year or so ago. And what that series was was I picked some of the most famous, well-loved Christmas hymns and pulled them out like we looked at what are these songs actually saying? What is their message in light of the love that we have for these songs? What are we actually singing? And so last week we looked at Joy to the World, and this week uh, we're going to be looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so have you ever sang that song, long like that song? Uh, hopefully this is a blessing to you. And so uh, if you're new, uh, I'm going to be turning you over to a sermon that I, I preached uh, on Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Pray that it is a blessing for, for you and your family. You have a great Christmas. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if not, you could use the ones right in front of you in the pews. Um, if you would, open up to Philippians chapter 2. I know I have Luke 2 up on the screen and um, also in the bulletin. We're going to touch there. We're going to have that up on the screen. But if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, I uh, would greatly appreciate it. And as you're turning there, uh, we're going to have a word of uh, prayer. Uh, Father God, once again, we thank you for this day and the amazing blessing that it is to be able to come together to worship you, to praise you, 
to have fellowship with one another. Lord, we come, and, and this morning, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to you, to your word. Father, help us to see Christmas. Help us to see Christmas even more than we have. Father, I pray that we'd be lost in your greatness and your splendor. We pray that you'd move and that you'd work in our lives, Lord, that you would equip us and encourage us for today and for tomorrow, and that you'd use us, Lord. And so, Lord, as we always do, we come before you, humbled by your grace and asking that out of your grace and to glorify you, that you would grant unto me your words of wisdom, of truth, of life, but that you'd also give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to your word rightly and properly and godly, Lord God, that you'd use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's really good to see all of you. Grateful uh, for that. Uh, grateful for those of you that are joining us online as well. Uh, we are one week away from Christmas. Well, actually, we're less than one week. So is that seven days? Because uh, Christmas is Saturday. Uh, the month has gone by really, really fast. So much going on. And with that said, uh, I, I know Bob mentioned it already, but I really pray that you could uh, join us for our Christmas Eve service uh, Friday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Silent Night uh, to continue on with our uh, series that we have uh, been doing. And so hopefully you could join us with that. But another quick thing before we get into the message is I mentioned this last week. And so I wanted to tell you this uh, today. Uh, I wanted to let you know what we're doing in January. Uh, we're going to have a mini-series in January, the first three weeks of January. January is a five-Sunday month. So the first three weeks of January, we're going to do a mini-series. And the mini-series is called uh, this. How are you doing, really? And what we're going to do is we're going to take three weeks and we're going to look at some mental health issues and we're going to talk about loneliness, depression, and anxiety uh, for the first three weeks of the year. And so hopefully uh, you could join us for that. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at those things uh, biblically. And I might have to pull uh, back into uh, my psychology roots, uh, but we'll find out. It's been a long time since that, but uh, hopefully you could join us for that. But with that said, uh, we got to get going this morning. If I were to ask you, to sit back and think about Christmas, what would come to your mind? Not just Christmas this year, but past Christmas, and just overall in your life. If you go, what is Christmas? What would come to your mind? For a lot of us, the birth of Jesus hopefully would come to mind, because that's what Christmas is. It is the birth of Jesus. His name is Christ is actually in it, right? You can't really, it's kind of hard to do that, right? But what else we got? Food, right? How many of you think of food when it comes to Christmas? A lot of us, right? Bob, Bob has his hands up, right? Uh, food, we got cookies, right? How many of you have a lot of cookies at home, right? If you don't, come on over, I'll give you some, right? We have a lot of cookies at the house. Some type of family tradition, right? All Everybody has different types of family traditions that you do. Uh, Bob is going to include me into a family tradition he was telling me about next year because uh, I want to get gifts. I don't know. So I'm going to be part of the, the Thomas family tradition next year. Uh, maybe taking a nap. I don't know. Hopefully taking a nap is part of Christmas. Hopefully. Um, maybe going somewhere, traveling, doing things along those lines, seeing family and friends. There's a whole host of things that we think about when our mind goes back to Christmas. But out of all of those things, one of the things that comes to my mind is that there's always a wonder and an awe in the Christmas season. Maybe not so much as you get older, but remember back when you were a kid. Christmas, was, there was always sense this wonder and awe. And if your kids are little, or if you think back to when your kids were small, you know, Christmas was always a sense of wonder and awe. It just filled the air, right? It always was, right? You look at the birth of Jesus, and there should be a sense of wonder and awe. 
Right? You look at the decorations that some people put up, and you go, well, this is amazing. Like, have you ever thought that? Like, Amy and I went to Disney one time, and they, uh, they had what was called the Osborne Family Light Display. I don't know. It was years ago. Right? Hundreds of thousands of lights, like Christmas lights. It's just that it's it's, you're left in a wonder and awe. Like, how do you do this? How do you put this together? There's a sense of wonder and awe. I remember when I was a kid, and I looked forward to what I was going to get for Christmas, there was always that sense of wonder and awe. What am I going to get? It's just an amazing thing. The problem with that is this. We lose that, don't we? As we get older, we lose that sense of wonder and that awe about Christmas. Which we shouldn't do. You see, as you and I get closer to Christmas, we should be filled with this wonder and this awe. It should just change everything. This morning we're in our third week of our series, Joy to the World, and we're looking at our third Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How many of you know that one? All right, good. Any, is it anybody's favorite? Right? You're, I didn't even know that. Right? How long have we been together? This is what happens. She's back at church, right? She actually interacts with me, right? Um, but I guess my wife's favorite hymn. And so we're looking at Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning. And once again, very well-known song sung at this time of year. And I might add one of the most theologically packed songs that you will ever sing. I, I could spend three weeks preaching on this song. Maybe even more if I really wanted to. It's very packed with theology. And you may not even realize that, but you will. And as I've been looking at the words of this song, I've been left in wonder and awe of Christmas and the words of this song. See, the birth of Jesus, this has left me in awe this year. And I've just been really focused in on this, uh, just thinking about it a lot. And so far this month, we've seen that Christmas ought to energize our worship to the Lord. And last week, we've seen that Christmas ought to set ablaze the hope that we have within us because of Jesus. And today, I hope and I pray that you see this. That Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, ought to leave us in wonder and awe. It should impact our daily lives because of what Jesus has done. And so I have three points for you. They're very hard points to come up with, so I hope you appreciate it. Point number one is the background. Point number two is the wonder. And point number three is the awe. I know they're very hard points for me to come up with. Uh, you should be appreciative of that. But here we go. we got to start with this, the background. What is the background of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Last week we spent a lot of time talking about Old Holy Night. And uh, we're not going to do that this week. And there's a reason for it. Um, as I was studying this, there's not as much background as there was to last week's song. Which could be a good thing, right? Hark the Herald Angels wasn't written to be a song, just like the other two songs we've seen so far. It was written to be a poem, first and foremost. It was a poem. And there's not too much to the background here. But this song, this poem, was written by a man by the name of Charles Wesley. Have any of you ever heard of Charles Wesley? Some of you would probably know his brother, John. Charles Wesley's brother, John Wesley, is believed to be the founder of what we call Methodism. John founded Methodism. Charles was his younger brother. And Charles was a pastor, but he didn't preach as much as his brother John did. What Charles did was he did a lot of writing. He wrote a lot, a lot of songs. And I'll tell you why that is in a, in a second. But they founded Wesleyan. And Charles 
Charles Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels in 1739. I think about that, 1739. And he wrote this poem about a year after his conversion. So about a year after him putting his faith and his trust in Jesus, the Lord God, Savior and King, Charles wrote this poem, this song, and he did so in the hopes that it would be wrong, uh, wrong, uh, read on Christmas Eve. And you know, well, what was, the, what was the inspiration of it? Well, we really don't know. It is believed that Charles was just walking down the street one day in town and he heard the Christmas bells ringing and that inspired him to write this poem so that it would be read in church on Christmas. But what he wrote is not totally what we sing today. There was a couple things changed. not much. Mainly the first line is what was changed and not even the whole first line. And it was changed by, the name, by a man by the name of George Whitfield. Any of you know George Whitfield? He was a very popular preacher in the day and age. Very popular, okay? Uh, he's still kind of popular uh, even today. And he knew Charles and John, and he changed the first part of verse 1. And here's why. You see, when Charles Wesley wrote, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the first line actually read this. Hark how all the welkin ring. Exactly, Bob. I mean, you guys can't see Bob's face, uh, but the line originally went, hark how the welkin ring. And going by Bob's first, his face, the question you should have for me on that is what in the world is a welkin, right? Welkin, it, it, it's amazing. I actually found, I like the word this week. I don't know, I, I'm just going to start using it. I'm just going to drop it in the sermons every now. Welkin, right? Welkin was, is an old word considering the song is old, right? But it was even in the day of Charles Wesley, it wasn't a word that was used a lot, all right? You only like when pastors and theologians bring up words you have no idea that mean, just wait, all right? Uh, but he used that word, and welkin, it speaks to the skies or the, the heavens. And so when it says, when the welkin rings, what Charles is saying is that the heavens ring. And George Whitfield's like, eh, it's not going to work. And so he changed it to what we know today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so George Whitfield, he changed that. And there's not much of a story behind it. Charles just wrote this poem to be read on Christmas or in, in church on Christmas to celebrate and to worship the Lord. But here's the thing. Charles and John Wesley, early Methodism, was all about singing. They both felt that they wanted to write songs so that people could hear theology, learn theology, and songs. Charles Wesley has written over 6,000 hymns. And a lot of them have a great amount of theology in it, like the one this morning. But there is one problem with Hark the Herald Angels ring, sing, and it's not even the welkin part. It was never put to music. It never had its own tune. They always changed the music up. And so Morgan, she's not even looking at me. Next week we need to sing this song to the, to the tune Amazing Grace. Because at one point, this song was sung to the tune, the music of Amazing Grace. They would always change the music. It never had its own set music. Right? I'm kidding, we don't have to do that. 
But they imagine singing this song to the music of Amazing Grace. They did that for a while. It wasn't until 1856 when the music was put uh, to uh, a song written by uh, Mendelssohn, and he, brought, he wrote that music to celebrate the printing press. Right? So the music of this song was written by Mendelssohn to celebrate the printing press. And he's like, that should never be used for a sacred song, but people put it together anyways. So, as to the scriptural background of this song, where do we get it from? Luke chapter 2, maybe. Verses 8 through 12. You know these. We were here last week. And we read, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. In that passage, we see the angels singing. To use that term loosely, they're proclaiming, they're announcing the birth of Jesus. But we really can't say if there was a scriptural inspiration to the song. It lines up with scripture, don't get me wrong. Now, I want you to listen to the first verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I want, to add, I want you to think what comes to mind. Those Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth, Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled, Joyful All Ye Nations Rise, Join the Triumph of the Skies, With the Angelic Host Proclaim, Christ is Born in Bethlehem really hard to say those and not sing those, which is good for you. But as you read those words, as you sing those words, what comes to mind? What do you hear in those words? Hark means listen, pay attention. The angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations. Join the triumph of the skies. What are in those words? There's a joy. There's an excitement. There's a hope. But also there's a sense of wonder and awe in those words, are there not? But the wonder and the awe come in what Charles writes next for us. And in that, it's Christmas from God's side. Have you ever looked at Christmas from God's point of view? Have you ever looked at Christmas, not through our eyes and the angels and the shepherds or Mary or Joseph or Herod, but from God's point of view? Because as we do that, then we really start to see the wonder and the awe that should fill our lives. And so we're going to move right into the wonder this morning. Here's the wonder. If you would turn to Philippians chapter 2, that's why I had you go there to begin with, all right? And this is where I want you to see this, right? This is where my mind's been. I've been waiting for this message, which is dangerous. The wonder is is this. Philippians chapter 2 is a great Christmas section, but a lot of people don't know it. Kind of like when I had you in Psalm 98, the first message in this this series, right? In in Philippians chapter 2, it's really important. Last week I told you that 
Preaching on the birth of Jesus is hard because I told you that the birth of Jesus is like a diamond. If you remember that, I told you that the birth of Jesus has all these different angles to it. And there's all these different things that you could see in the birth of Jesus and talk about the birth of Jesus and learn about the birth of Jesus. And that's what makes it so hard. Well, this morning is one of those areas. You have to see all those different angles, but we need to see this because this is what really hit me this month. I want you to ask yourself something maybe that you've never asked yourself before. Why was there so much amazement and joy at the birth of Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why so much amazement? Why so much joy? Well, go back to our song this morning. Do you know it? Ready? Christ by... Come on, you know it. Christ by highest heaven... Adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold he come, offspring of the virgin's womb. You're like, somebody like, I need the music, right? Good job, right? Follow the flow here, what Charles writes for us. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. In those words, where are we? We're in heaven. We're in heaven. Christ the highest heaven adored. Everything that's taking place is taking place in heaven. Christ the everlasting Lord. He's always been there. We're talking about heaven. Everything in those few words is taking place in heaven. And then what does Charles write? Offspring of the virgin's womb. And now we hit the birth of Jesus. So the Jesus was there in heaven and then comes the, the birth of Jesus, the virgin's womb you have to realize that Jesus was real and living before he was born of Mary. You have to realize that because a lot of people say that Jesus did not exist before being born of Mary. Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, host of other people that will even go under the name Christian do not believe Jesus existed before he was born of Mary. But he did. He's the highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. You must not ever think or believe that Jesus did not exist before being born of Mary. Jesus is God. He has always been God. And this is where the wonder starts to come in. I have a Christmas present for you today. Are you ready? Okay, you didn't sound really excited for my Christmas present today. Are you, are you excited for a Christmas present today? Ah, it's still kind of weak, right? We got some clapping, right? Do you want to know what it is? You want to know what it is? Morgan doesn't. She doesn't. Morgan doesn't care, right? Shorter sermon, though. Absolutely not, right? Not, not absolutely not, right? It's really hard for me to buy a Christmas gift for all of you, right? And so what I decided to do is this, right? Uh, we're, we're going to have Big Word Sunday today, right? And for those of you that don't know what Big Word Sunday is, that's where we pull out a big theological word, right? And so uh, our Big Word Sunday today is this. It's the hypostatic union, okay? And don't turn me off if you're joining us online. It's not hard. Don't tune me out here. I've already lost some of you. Hypostatic union. Yep. I should have stayed home in bed, right? Why are we going to do that? Don't, don't. It, it's not that hard, okay? You can handle this, even if you're a Red Sox fan, all right? You can handle this, all right? All right? I forgot you're a Red Sox fan, so relax, okay? Uh, you got this. Don't tune me out. But it's in this. 
that we see the true wonder and awe of Christmas. The wonder and awe that should fill our hearts and our minds and our lives daily in light of everything and anything that takes place in our lives or in this world. I'll tell you what this word means in a second. It's not as hard as it seems, but back to the song first. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, please with men or us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This is what Charles wrote is very, very, very deep theology. And you have maybe never even known it. It is the hypostatic union. And you're like, Pastor, I don't even know what that is. Is it biblical? It is biblical. It's why I had you turn to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, which just so you know, is believed to be, a, had been sung in the early church. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, we read this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is where the wonder of Christmas comes in. I need you to follow me on this. The word hypostatic, it means personal. That's what it means. Okay? You got the word union, right? Like You understand the word union of being brought together, right? You got that? Okay, good. So there you go. That's your big word Sunday. Hypostatic union. It's personal union. Well, what is that, Pastor? Well, that is the big word, or it is the name of the doctrine of the personal union of Jesus' two natures. That is the fact that Jesus is 100% God, and he is 100% man. That when Jesus was on this earth, he did not stop being God. Jesus has always been God. He has always, always, always been God. He was God before he was born of Mary. He was God while he was on earth. Jesus has always been God. But when Jesus came and was born of Mary, what Jesus did was he added himself humanity. I'm going to throw a lot of theology at you this morning. So you need to stay with me. You can handle it. How do I know you can handle it? Because for most of you, I've been teaching you for a long time, you can handle this, okay? You're probably not going to grab all of it, but there's a couple things that you can grab and you should grab, okay? When Jesus came... He added to himself humanity. He added to himself that which he did not have. He was not human. He was and is God. And so when Jesus came into creation, he added, himself, added to himself humanity. And so at the very same time, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was and is fully God and fully man. Completely, totally, 100% both on God and man. And here's the thing that has stood out to me all Christmas, I told you, I admitted it, and thankfully none of you judged me too harshly, that I've been listening to Christmas music since October because of this series. And the thing that has stayed out to me in all of it, 
that we lose sight of and that we lose the wonder and the awe of all of it is simply this. God came. God came. And those are what? Two basic words. But the meaning, the life impact, the fact that God came here. Like, you don't even have to talk about the hope and the peace and the joy and the salvation and everything that is accompanied with everything of Jesus' coming. The fact that God came here, that God stepped into creation. It's mind-blowing. It just leaves you in a sense of wonder that God came here. And go with the, well, go what Paul says here. And once again, I know you might not grab all the theology in this at once, but I want you to grab the wonder in this. Paul goes, who? i got to get my handy-dandy pointers for you this morning. Sorry, those of you on Facebook can't see the red light. Right? Who? That's Jesus. Okay? Who, being in very nature God. And you got to stop. you got to stop. Do you see that word nature there? Some of you in your Bibles, you're going to have the word form. Okay? When you think of a form of something, what do you think of? The outside, the shape, the size, right? Those types of things, right? That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about the outward form of Jesus. He's not talking about the outward shape of someone or something. And here's how we know that. You see, Paul uses the Greek word morphe here. And what morphe speaks to is, well, let me back up. If Paul was speaking to the outward size or shape of something, he would have used the Greek word schema. Because the Greek word schema talks about the outward form, the outward size, the outward shape. It talks about the outwardness of something. You follow me on that? But Paul uses the Greek word morphe. And morphe speaks to the inner being, the, the, the nature, the essence of something. And that's what Paul is talking about there. And so what Paul is saying that Jesus is the very essence. Jesus is the very nature of God. Because Jesus is God. Now at the same word, you have to, at the same time, you have to look at the word being. The word being there. You know what that word being is? Tom probably knows what it is. That word being there. is a present, present participle. Sorry, my mind went. What Paul is saying here is this, that Jesus is the very essence, the very nature of God, that Jesus has the inner unchanging nature or essence of God because Jesus is God. And the word being there is a present active participle. God, Pastor, really? This is why we have to study it means, continues to be, has been and continues to be. And what Paul is saying in those words is this, that Jesus has been God, that Jesus is being God, and Jesus will continue to be God. That Jesus has never ever stopped being God. Do you follow that? 
You may not get the Greek words. You may not get the theology behind all of this. But what Paul is saying in those few short words is that Jesus has always been God. He is God and He always will be God. That He will never ever stop being God. He'll never cease being God because Jesus is God. But then Paul goes on to say that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality. That word equality means everything being equal, everything being the same. He goes, he didn't consider being equality with God something to be grasped. And the word grasped there, it means to snatch, as in robbing. That's why some of your Bible translations won't have the word grasp, but it'll have the word rob or robbing. It's like taking something that doesn't belong to you. Oh, I want that. And you take it. But the word grasp also means to hold on to, to cling to. So you have people over your house and you put your hand in the cookie jar and you pull out the last chocolate chip cookie. What are you doing? You're holding on to that, right? Nobody's getting the chocolate chip cookie, right? You're holding on to that. You're clinging to that. It's what the word grasp means, to hold on to, to cling to. And so what Paul says here is that Jesus did not have to take equality from God, with God because he already had it. He didn't have to take equality with God. He already had it. Not only that, Jesus did not have to cling to. He did not have to hold on to being equal with God. That Jesus did not have to hold on to being God. Think on that. Jesus as God goes, I don't have to hold on to this. I don't have to cling to all of this. I don't have to hold on to my equality with God. Ponder that. Think on that. I know you may not get the theology in the Greek. That's fine. But ponder on this thought that Jesus, who has always been and always will be God, looked at all of it. That I don't have to hold on to it. I don't have to cling to it. There's a wonder in that, isn't there? And I don't know, and I'll be honest with you, I can't fully explain it. I can't. I don't think anybody can fully explain this. I don't think we can fully get it. But we get so focused on everything in life, especially at Christmas time, from cookies and presents to lights and decorations and parties and this and that. We get so bogged down with everything, the stress and the worry, everything. And we lose sight of the wonder that Jesus, who is God, goes, I don't have to hold on to this. I don't have to do it. And we sit back and go, does God love me? Does God care about me? Does God know what's going on in my life? Is God helping me in this? Is God going to help me in that? And we sit back and we just wonder that Jesus goes, yeah, I'm God. And I didn't cling to it. I didn't hold on to it. Because I didn't think of myself. Because I thought of you. Because I thought of you. You see, there's a wonder in that that we miss fact that God came. But there's also an awe in all of this. Charles moves on with his song. You know the rest of it? 
Mild he lays his glory by born that man may no more die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Starting to like this interaction in this series. My introverts here this morning are going, no, we've had enough of it. It's been three weeks. It's been way too long. Please stop. Well, your pastor's an introvert, so if I have to talk in front of you, you could talk with me. Mild he lays his glory by. Have you ever wondered what that meant as you sung it? Do you know what they mean? Well, it's verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2. We just saw that Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, to clung to. And so Paul tells us what Jesus does in light of that. He tells us in verse 7, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul goes, Jesus, who is God, who has always been God, who will always be God, didn't consider his equality with God something to be held on to. And because of that, because of that, he made himself nothing. This is the off. Do you see the phrase made himself nothing? That's one word in the Greek. And it's the word kenosis. And the word kenosis means to empty something out, to pour it all out. So if I were to take my water bottle here, my fancy dancy water bottle, and pour all this water out, I would have performed kenosis. It means to pour something out, completely out, so that all the elements in that container, that jar, whatever the case may be, is completely out. So what does this mean? Well, follow me on this. Because Jesus, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. You see the awe in all of that? You see the wonder in all of that? But the debate is, what did Jesus empty himself on? And this debate has gone on for many years, and I'm not going to be able to uh, solve it. I know the answer to it. But a lot of people say that Jesus emptied himself as his deity. That when Jesus came to this earth, he stopped being God. That he was no longer God. Eh, nope, can't be. Why? Because of what Paul tells us in verse 6. That Jesus being in the very essence or the nature of God. He is always God. Always God. He has never stopped, ceased, never stopped being God. And so when Jesus was on this earth, he was God. He was God on this earth. He added to himself humanity, but he was God. So the question is, what did he empty himself of? Well, he emptied himself of his privileges as God. He laid them aside, as Charles says in the song. Jesus laid aside his glory. Why do you think Jesus in the Gospels prays, Father, return the glory I had with you. He laid aside his glory. Jesus laid aside his will when he was on this earth. He fully and totally submitted to the will of the Father. That's why you see Jesus going, I only do the will of the Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only do that. He laid aside his will. He laid aside his privileges as God while he was on this earth. 
I'll give you an analogy. It'd be like they're a king in the land. And the late in the day, the king goes, you know what? I'm tired of living in the palace. I'm going to go out and live with the common folk for a day or two. And so the king, king takes his crown off. He takes his robes off. He takes off the royal ring. He leaves his attendants and he leaves his security forces back in the palace. And the king says, puts on normal day-to-day -day clothes. And he goes, walks out into the town. Then the king sees the barbecue stand. Because you always need a barbecue stand, right? He goes, yes, you don't go like this to me. Right? You haven't... What happened when your wife comes to church? No, I'm glad you're here. Goes up to the barbecue stand. He goes, I want a brisket sandwich. Because brisket is better than pork. And the shop owner goes, $12 because of inflation. What does the king say? Does the king go, well, I'm the king. I'm going to take this for free. Or does the king pull out his wallet and pay $12? Because the king has laid aside his rights and his privileges as king. He pulls out his wallet, pays for it. Even though he had the privilege as king going, I'm your king, you're just going to give that to me freely. He laid aside his privileges. And that is what Jesus does, well, that is what Jesus did when he came. He emptied himself. He laid aside his privileges as Lord God, Savior, and King. And what Jesus did was this. Notice the verse. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus didn't come as a rich guy. He didn't come as a businessman. He didn't come as someone that was popular. He came as a servant, to be a servant. And you need to know this. You see the word nature there? It is the same word that we find in verse 6. Morphe. And so it's not saying, you got to get this. Because when Paul says that he came in the likeness, the very nature of a servant, what he's saying was the inner essence, the inner nature of Jesus on this earth was that of a servant. That Jesus did not play the part of a servant. He didn't go, you know what, I'm just going to play this part while I'm here so that everybody thinks of me being a servant. He goes, no, it was his inner traits, his inner quality, it was his inner essence that from his inner being, he was and is a servant. He didn't play the part, he was and is a servant. This should leave you in awe. Once again, you may not follow the, the theology, which is fine. But you can grab hold of the principle in all of it. And it should leave us in awe of Jesus and what he did. That Jesus left heaven. No one forced Jesus to do this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit didn't draw straws one day going, okay, which one of us are going to have the unfortunate luck of going down the, the earth and working this plan of the gospel out? There was none of that. Jesus goes, I'll do it. No forcing, no nothing. Think about this. This just came to my mind. Jesus was more willing to come to this earth, add humanity onto himself, live a sinless life, go through everything he went through, be crucified, die and rise three days later, he did that more willingly than you can get a teenager to take out the garbage. Think on that. 
think on that. He did that more willingly than a lot of people will go to church. He did it more willingly than we are to open the Bible or to pray. To, I'll do it. No, no set. Willingly. And we stand back and go, do I get the eight-foot tree or do I get the seven-foot tree? And Jesus goes, come. He goes, I've come. That Jesus looked at his deity and he said, I don't have to hold on to this. I don't have to cling to this. I'm going to empty myself of the privileges that I have as God and I will step into humanity. I'll add humanity to my deity and I will be a servant and I will humble myself. I don't know about you. And maybe this is just one of me sermons. I don't know. But I look at that and you go, you know what? I don't fully understand that. But I understand enough of it to stand back and go, why? How? Have you ever had something happened in your life or to you where it has struck you so much that you just stand back and go, wait, what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. Like, how? Have you ever had that happen in your life? Like, it's so great, it's so much, but it's just left you with a wonder and awe that you just really can't fully comprehend and grasp it. That's the birth of Jesus. That's the Christmas story. That God became a man. That God came. That Jesus came as a servant and humbled himself. But why? Why? Well, Scripture tells us this all over the place, but Charles Wesley tells us in his song, Born that man may no more die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. Jesus came. Jesus did all of this so that in him, because of him, man may no more die separated from God. Jesus did this so that in him we can have a second birth. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus tells him in verse 3 of that chapter, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Jesus goes, you have to be born again. You have to have the second birth in order to go to heaven. And what is the second birth? Well, Jesus tells us later on in verse 15 of the same chapter, chapter 3, that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, may have eternal life. The second birth is someone coming on Jesus, your Lord, God, Savior, and King, and I need forgiveness of my sin and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you and I'm going to believe in you and Jesus goes when that happens when you do that you're born again you're born from again above is another translation that is the second birth you're born of the spirit and you go you have to have that that is why Jesus came he came so that people in him because of him could be born again question is are you are you born again has Christ given you the second birth? Have you turned to Jesus by faith? Have you sought forgiveness of your sin? Do you believe in Jesus as Lord God, Savior, and King so that you may have eternal life? That's why Jesus did all of it. Friends, Christmas is a time of year that we are filled with wonder and awe of so many things. The birth of Jesus ought to fill us with wonder and awe as we look at it and see it know what Jesus did. Not from the wise men, not from the angels, 
But the fact that Jesus loves you enough to empty himself and come to this earth as a man, as a servant, to die on the cross for your sins, in your place, to rise, so that in him, by him, because of him, we might be born again and enter into heaven. The fullness of Christmas should leave us in wonder and awe at the goodness, the faithfulness, the power, the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the splendor of God. And that wonder and awe should impact our daily lives. Because the wonder and awe of the Christmas story makes it into every aspect of our lives. Because Jesus came. Came. So you feel with wonder and awe that Jesus came? Are you still worried about the cookies you have to bake? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. And Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that even before the foundation of the world, you had it in place, and we even see it in Genesis. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, Lord God. Father, we pray that you'd use us. Help us to be just lost in the wonder and awe of the true Christmas story. I pray that you would move and that you would work in our hearts and our lives, Lord God. Lord, we give this to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand.